Well, give the Lord a praise. Come on, give God a praise. That's why we're here, guys. All sit down. Sit down. <laughs> hey, this is the first time I've been here uh, with you guys. It's always interesting when you're a guest speaker for the first time. You don't know me. I don't know you. Now, most of you look pretty nice. I was watching you coming in. But you got to understand, guys, this is my 50th year of ministry. So, yeah, so it's, we were joking. <laughs> Pastor Clark and I were joking out there. You know, when you've done this for 50 years, um, like you said, I've been, I've been shot twice, stabbed five times, been in three plane crashes. Um, what else? Well, you know, the, I got in a fist fight in Jacksonville, Florida last month. He made it sound much more spiritual than what it was. I wasn't attacked for the gospel. <laughs> no, I was, I was in a, you know, I, because, you know, on the plains now, they don't give you food. They give you this little nothing stuff. So I get these little boxes of raisins. I get them at the grocery store, throw them in my bag, because that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I keep my little raisins. So I'm in this Publix grocery store, Jacksonville, minding my own business, trying to find the raisins. So I'm letting this, 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 this old guy and old lady talking. And you know how when we get older, we yell more? I don't know if it's because we can't hear or we don't think anybody else can hear. But so the lady's yelling at the husband, at Joe Biden, you know, I don't like him. And, and the husband's going, no, no, you? And then some guy walking by starts cursing her out. So then the husband is trying to protect his wife. So this guy, this guy comes over, two hands in the guy's chest, knocks the old guy into the shelf. He falls, hits his head. I'm just trying to find raisins. That's all I'm trying to do. And I, in my mind, I'm not engaging. I'm not going to do it. When I see the guy hit the ground, I thought, uh, and he's out. So I walk over, and she's crying, so I'm, and I look at the guy. So I'm down like this with the guy, and I look at the guy that hits him, and I said, really? And the guy goes, oh, you want some? I said, yeah, I guess I do. And so then that just went the way it went, in Jesus' name. And uh, now I'm only telling you all this that, you know, I haven't been in a fight for a few weeks, so I'm already a little edgy. So be nice to me at the back table. You know, I'm, I'm 72 years old, folks. A, a life sentence isn't that much of a deterrent to me. I'm just telling you right up front. So don't do anything stupid or it's going to go the way it goes. All right. Now, just so you all know, I'm sure you've had some great speakers in here. He, he kind of checked himself because he said, doctor, and I really am. And it was the funniest story. I got to tell you, I'm doing two different messages today because I just got a lot to say. I've never been here before. And I'm sure after today, I'll probably never be back. So I'm just going to unload the whole truck while I'm here. I'm just going to give it my best shot. So, so I get the PhD, right? Because I teach Old Testament in a couple of universities in Europe. So I thought, you know, you got to have the PhD just to make you sound like you got some legit. So, so I get the PhD. I mean, I hadn't had it for a month. And I'm at a truck stop in Amarillo. 
loading uh, gassing up the car, take it back to the to the airport. Again, mind my own business. Gassing up the car, and this guy comes running across the parking lot. Is there a doctor here? Because you know, I'm I'm a doctor. Now looking back at this, I should have asked what kind of doctor. But I think I'm Superman. So, yep, I can do this. Yeah, I'm a doctor. So we run over to the car. His wife is having a baby in the back seat of the car. I looked in there. I thought, my PhD right now is totally useless. What a waste of time and money that was. Anyways, so I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I see the head of the baby. I mean, it's showtime. This baby come. I'm thinking, okay. Have you ever thought you could do something like you were convinced? And then at the last minute, you realized, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, not even close. (laughs) Somebody should have got a video of this because I'd have showed it to you this morning. I started rolling up my sleeves. I don't even know why I did that. It just seemed like the right thing to do. (laughs) So I'm rolling up my sleeves and, and I kept thinking, Man, I don't know what to do with this. And, and then I thought, wait a minute. I've seen American movies. It never looked that hard. How hard can this be? And then I remembered there's one movie I saw where the doctor is just yelling at the woman, push, breathe. So I'm thinking, that's the formula. That's what you do. So I'm yelling at the pregnant chick, push, breathe. So she's screaming, I'm screaming. I don't even know why I'm screaming. And we... So we get the baby out, right? So I run in the gas station, got a little pair of those, uh, you know, those little scissors? So I bring the scissors. Yeah, I cut, I only know how to tie one knot. So I cut the thing, tied it. So by then the ambulance is rolling in. So mother's crying, that's a good thing. Baby's crying, that's good, right? I'm crying. No, thank God nobody died. And so they're putting his wife in the ambulance. He's, doctor, thank you. I never told him. (laughs) I didn't have the heart. To this day, you know that guy tells that story everywhere he goes. There was this doctor that just magically appeared in a gas station. That would be me. So I'm just telling you guys this, is that I'm not going to be like any other guest speaker you all have had here. It's just... You know, I, I've been in Brooklyn now for 40 years, and when you've seen 23 homicides, you've been a witness to 23 over the years. I got my throat cut in Yemen just before COVID. We were doing a medicine food run uh, from Djibouti over across the Gulf of Aden, which you know is the same run that the Somali pirates run make. And so it's, it's just different. My life is different. Doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong just means it's just different. We've made different lifestyle choices. And so when I speak to you today, it's going to come from, as we said in the introduction, uh, this is all I do. I don't do anything else. Everything in my life goes towards one thing, and that's to get the gospel in front of as many kids as we possibly can. That's what today reflects. And I hope that's what comes across uh, for you guys. 
We had a great service last night. And I apologize. There's probably not going to be a lot of books back there. Everything kind of sold out where I was last night. We got a couple of things back there. Um, so let me explain to you what we do have. Uh, the book, Whose Child Is This? Which camera is the close-up, guys? Which way do I look? Do I look this way or do I look this way? Or does it matter? Straight? Yep. Who's, who's that? What's your name? Camera guy. Yo, what's your name? All right. <laughs> so that's Rihanna. That sounded like a man's voice. Now, I wouldn't swear to that. I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> Rihanna, nice to have you. Folks, <laughs> give me a close up. Whose child is this? It's in uh, 32 languages. It's become one of the best sellers, um, obviously. Tells how Metro has become the largest Sunday school in the world today. Uh, we're uh, running 250,000 a week. By the way things are looking, we're going to be closing in by the end of this year at 300,000 a week in Sunday school. Uh, that's never been done in world history. We're very grateful for the doors that God is opening. And I'm, thank you guys. And thank you for allowing me to be here and share. Um, so I got a couple of these left. Uh, what are some of the other ones? I don't know what we've got left actually. Oh, the Teflon Rhino. If you're gonna make it in life, You've got to have skin thick as a rhino made out of Teflon. Nothing sticks to you. Mm -hmm. I've been in churches, and so have you guys. Where, because I mentioned all the things that have happened to me, all the, the, the plane crashes and the diseases and the fights. And I've worked with Christians for 50 years. Now, I don't know what was more traumatic. I'm just throwing it out there, folks. <laughs> but uh, we got, you know, you, you get into it sometimes with the board of demons, and you got all kinds of drama after the service. You know what I'm talking about. For some of you young people, you don't know what I'm saying because you're too young to know anything. So just sit up and pay attention. You'll learn a little something today in this place. But you older folks, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a few things. I'll be out there in between. Tell, tell somebody, is there any donuts at that cafe thing? Do y'all have donuts back there? Or, apparently that's not the case. All right. Try to send muffins. That's the best you got. All right. That's what you got. That's what we'll do. That's all good. Okay. Um, let me show you this. Get a close up on this, Bree, if you can. Because, oh, that's, there we go, there we go, well done. You will see these pictures on the back table. That is the most important thing that you will see there. This is an opportunity for you guys. And you've seen on TV, I know different sponsorship programs, I get it. The biggest difference between what we do and most of what you would see on TV is this is our entire ministry. We are not, there is no middleman involved. This is it. Our teams live. We don't go visit in these foreign countries. Everybody lives there. All right? And that's kind of what separates the liars from the buyers in everything that we do. Because our team is committed to 
doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reach a kid with the gospel. This is a $33 a month commitment. You can be as involved in the life of the child as you choose to be. And I know you see stuff and you go, eh, is that, is that really what it's supposed to be? I get it, guys. I get it. Um, but because you don't know me, and I know it's always the first time when I'm with folks, it's kind of hard to get this whole thing put together. But my mom was alcoholic. She left me on a street corner when I was a little kid. She walked. She never came back. And I sat on that corner for three days, no food, no water, until here, hence, defining moments in life. One afternoon, an ordinary Christian man, operative word, ordinary. His own kid was in the hospital, dying of leukemia. He was actually on his way to the hospital to visit his dying son. He'd seen me there for a couple of days. He pulls the car over, gets out, walks over to where I've been sitting, puts his hand on my shoulder, and just says, are you okay? That's it. I'm up in front of you today, 250,000 a week, hear the gospel, because in 1960, the ordinary Christian chose to stop. In the midst of his own struggles, his own need, he still stops. He says, are you okay? And I used to stutter horribly when I was little. And I tried to explain to him my mother was gone, and I was just hungry. And immediately, he didn't have to go to a conference, didn't have to read a book, didn't have to go to a seminar, didn't have to get a worthless PhD. Sorry for you PhD people, sorry. Not sorry. Um, he got me some food and water, got on the phone five hours later from this meeting on the street corner. Five hours later, he's loading me in a church van, sponsors me to go to a Sunday school camp. Now, I have no church background, nothing, never been. No point of anything about Jesus, God, anything. So I'm showing up in this Pentecostal camp. So the first time I'm in church, I'm in a Pentecostal camp. <laughs> exactly. And some of you know exactly what I just said. Some of you don't. Mm-hmm. I heard the story of Jesus for the first time. I came to the front. Altar was packed. And uh, nobody would pray for me because I still had the same clothes on. They picked me up off the street end. I stuttered. I didn't look like a church kid. I couldn't talk like a church kid. Why? I wasn't a church kid. But I heard the speaker say, just pray. And that means just talk to Jesus. And here's what happened, right up here, right at the front, in this old rundown camp chapel. I said, Jesus, my mother doesn't want me, and now the Christians don't want me. I said, but if you want me, here I am. And something happened. For the first time in my life, I felt like somebody loved me. And my life, listen to me, my life took a turn. And I've never looked back, folks. So all I have done my entire adult life is try to do for kids 
Exactly what that one Christian man did for me. That's what this is, guys. I was this kid. I was this kid. I hope that makes a little bit of sense to you of what all that is out there. And uh, is it Ashley? Ashley, right? She's the one doing the pictures. Ashley, where's those pictures? Give me a picture. We got some pictures. Where, where'd she go? Oh, we lost. Is the picture? Okay. All right. Found this little girl in Ethiopia. Name's Rosie. Um, her parents wanted a boy. They had her. They kept her for a while. And then they just decided they didn't want her anymore. So they took her out to the bush, tied her hands and feet to a tree, just let her starve out. And then the animals, of course, would come and eat her. I got to the orphanage that we'd helped start. And one of the staff said, Pastor Bill, we heard there's this little girl chained to a tree. So I said, okay, has anybody gone to look? And of course, nobody had. So give me the keys to the Jeep. So we're running through the bush for about an hour. We found Rosie. We cut her loose. I put her in the Jeep. Got her back. And I'm working on an MD now. And one of the main reasons why I'm doing the MD was because of delivering the baby, not knowing what I was doing. That was kind of the impetus. But it's also because of this kind of stuff. Uh, We do a lot of medical work now on the outside. And you'll see more of that in the second service if some of you want to hang around. Um, So we got her back to the orphanage. I took this picture. I left two days later. I was preaching at a pastor's conference in L.A. And I'm telling the story that I'm telling you guys. And I went to the back table, and a, a lady ran back with her little daughter. She said, Pastor Bill, I want to sponsor Rosie. Because I took this picture, put it in one of the folders, like you guys will see out there. And I thought, i got to get this kid sponsored. Somebody's got somebody's to care for this kid. So the lady, single mom, and she's just saying, Pastor Bill, I, I want to sponsor Rosie. I said, ma'am, I don't even know if this kid's going to be alive in two weeks. She said, doesn't matter. We want to be the ones to try to change her life. And she's looking down at her little daughter. Well, she's talking to me. You know what she was thinking. Yeah, me too. She signed up. She was a great sponsor. Great sponsor. Faithful in the support. She got uh, boxes of protein, shipped it over there to Ethiopia, trying to put weight on the little girl. And I, they didn't have Wi-Fi, so I didn't really know what was going on. But I had a chance to get close to there about six months later. Now, I hadn't heard how Rosie was doing. But I, I got to the orphanage, and I didn't even tell them I was coming. I just drove up, got out of the truck, and uh, where's Rosie? And uh, I said, do you have that next picture? After six months, you better give God a praise. You better give God a praise. Mm-hmm. Six months, because what? Because one, again, folks, this is the same story that you're going to hear me driving home to you all day long. It's about one person getting it. Hillary Clinton wrote that book. It, was kind of, it, was a, it wasn't a good book, but the title was better than the book. Um, remember that one, It Takes a Village? Great title. Problem is, it's not true. If the village will do it, that's a bonus. But the village doesn't have to, because all it takes, come on, Jesus. 
Y'all better get this. All it takes is one. I am in front of you today because one man in his own struggles, his own battles, chose to stop. This little girl, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because one lady, not a wealthy person, but she saw the need and the need was the call. So thank you. Thank you, sir, for allowing me to share this. Uh, and again, I'll be out there as long as I need to, just before the second service starts. Uh, I think one of the folks, when, I guess it was the bodyguard, got nervous because I'm walking in this way instead of that way. I thought, Psh, come on, bro. Come on. I live in, I live in Bed-Stuy. Come on. It doesn't, look, it doesn't look like it's that tough of a neighborhood here. Okay. I, I think I'm good. And then I walk in and I see two cops. I think, okay, it's starting already. All right, here we go. Anyways. Thanks, guys, for allowing me to be here and talk with you a little bit. Get your Bibles out quickly. Uh, I'm going to try to be here or get out of here on time. Sometimes that works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. We're doing pretty good so far. But let me, uh, let me talk to you. I was in, where was I? Amsterdam. I was doing a leadership conference in Amsterdam, walking from the hotel to the auditorium. I was a little early. I like being early. Uh, I like history. I'm kind of a history guy. I guess the older you get, the more you like older things. And that's kind of how it's worked for me. So I see, I see this museum. Um, I'm walking through this Dutch museum. Kind of rummaging around. And I see the statue of this. Two hands clasped together. That was the statue. The whole thing. Two hands. That was kind of interesting. So I'm I'm speed reading the stanchion next to it. If you've been in those old, particularly European museums, they've got the whole blurb next to it. So I'm reading, 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 reading. I'm thinking, I know this story. I have read this story somewhere. And then I got to the name. Mm -hmm. It was the story about a man by the name of Dirk Willems. Now, Willems was a Christian in Amsterdam at a time when Christianity was very unpopular, kind of like it's turning back into now. And he was so vocal in his faith that the government started getting nervous kind of like it is now. And so they put out a hit on Willems. They were going to get him, burn him at the stake because of his faith. Now follow me here. So Willems hears it, so he's on the run. Now this is in the middle of February. So Willems is running across this frozen lake, right? He was kind of a littler guy. So he's running literally for his life across this lake. And the government guy was a big guy. Willems gets across the lake. He's good to go, getting out of town. He's he's clear sailing. But the big guy, the government guy, he gets about halfway across the lake, falls through. He's drowning, he can't swim, screaming, help, help, in this freezing water. Nobody's around except our boy. Willems 
Here's the guy screaming. Now remember, this is the guy that's taking him to his death. Willem sees him drowning. He's got to make the call. Make the call, man. Make the call. Mm -hmm. He runs back across the lake, reaches down, grabs the guy's hand, the two hands, the statue, grabs his hand, pulls him out, saves his life. The guy still takes him in. Oh, yeah. Two weeks later, they've got Willem's hands tied behind his back. They're getting ready to light him up. But the story of how he saved this guy's life had already circulated around the town. So just before they set him on fire, it starts. Somebody from the crowd yells, Hey, Willems, why did you do it? And somebody else picks it up. Why did you save his life? You knew he was taking you to your death. And just before they set him on fire, you know what Willems said? He said, don't miss this, in Jesus' name. Don't miss this. He said to the crowd, it was a reflex. Really. Most of my messages, whether it's on TV or something like this, most of my messages are comprised of me asking you guys a question and then collectively trying to answer it. Because in this message, as it will be in a totally different message in the next one, these messages and the questions I will ask you cannot be answered by the group. No group think today. No group think. This is all individual responses today because it's on you as an individual. So here's the question. What then makes the difference between the Christians that have that kind of a reflex in the midst of a need, in a situation, and those that are totally clueless. Go to the same church, heard the same message, same input, same folks. Some people get it, and some people, you know, they just give you the dog look. You know what the dog look is. It's when you're talking to your dog, and your dog goes, yeah. <laughs> I get that a lot on Sunday mornings, so don't do it. You're lucky there's not stairs here. I almost had them get me something so I could get off the stage and get out there. I may do that for the next one. Some of you guys that do that stuff, find me something, because I want to get out there in the next service. Thank you. It's a reflex. It's a reflex. What then makes the difference? between the Christians that see the need. And I talk about, well, what do we get? We had over 4,000 churches in America close last year because of COVID during that time. Now, if we lined all those pastors up, let's do it. Let's line them up and ask them, did God call you or not? Now, you and I both know most of them would say, yeah, God called me. Okay, then what happened, Bubba? What happened? You're telling me that the God who created the heavens and the earth, everything else is made in China, but the God who created, it just is, folks. That's got to change. That needs to change. I'm just saying. 
I worked with the U.S. president for a year, so I can get political on you in a minute. I'm going to try not to. I'm doing pretty good, but don't push it. Because I will go political on you quick, quick. You ask them, did God call you or not? You know most of them would say, of course. Okay, then what happened? What happened? You didn't have what it took to do it? You weren't tough enough? You didn't have the guts enough? I tell our staff all the time, your commitment has got to be stronger than your emotions. You better write that down. Let me say it again for the cheap seats. Your commitment has got to be stronger than your emotions. Now, how many Christians do you know? They live on their emotions. It's, I don't feel like it. I don't feel, shut up. I'll slap you myself. In Jesus' name. But I'm, I will say, you know, if you're going to slap somebody in church, you got to try to make it spiritual. But I will slap you. Not even give it a second thought. Your commitment. Come on, folks. I was blind in this eye. Got hit with a brick on Decal Bay Avenue. Some of you from that part of the world, you know where Bedford, Stuyvesant, Bushwick, Brownsville, the, you know those areas. Yeah, that's where I live. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Guy hit me with a brick. Robbery, blind in the side, middle of the night. God healed me. Okay, I. You want to talk about miracles? I talk miracles all day, Bubba and Bubettes. How much? How far do you want me to take this? Because I'll take you today as far as you want to go. Mm-hmm. I was there when I had to go pick up our first Sunday school teacher who'd been gang raped on top of one of the buildings. Mm-hmm. And then we found a staff member dead behind the church on Sunday morning. We shut down a crack house across the street from the church. One of the dealers tried to come at me with an axe, couldn't get me, so he got one of our staff members. It's not a game today, folks. It's not just another Sunday morning service. I don't do just another Sunday morning service. I'm 72 years old. I don't have time for just another service, and neither do some of you. Some of you, like me, you know you're on the clock. I'm on the clock, pal. I ain't got time to play. There's life and death today. You know it. I know it. Willem said it was a reflex. So why then do some folks get it? And it's just they see the need, and the need innately becomes the call. Something changes. Something is put into motion. I was in Tulsa. I try not to go to Tulsa. It's too exhausting. The whole place was exhausting to me. So I'm talking to a bunch of theologians. So you know how that went. Uh, They were discussing how did Paul go from being the murderer to the missionary? Okay, good question. And everybody's got an opinion because you know how theologians are. Everybody thinks they're right. I always wait till the end and then I have the last word. It's kind of a New York thing, I guess. And then the meeting's over. As I said, gentlemen, Paul explains it himself. You don't have to theorize. You don't have to pull out your PhDs. Paul says it himself. Look look over here in 2 Corinthians real quick. Open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, all of you have read this. I know you have. But follow me because I want you to see something that maybe you haven't seen before. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, what does it say? It says, the love of Christ constrains us. Hmm. The love of Christ constrains us. That word constrains is a very interesting word. And just by the fact that he said it constrains us, he could have said it constrains him. Singular. No, he went plural because it's the truth. When you understand what Jesus really did, look at me. Know what you think he did. Know what you heard he did. Know what you read he did. But when the love of Christ, when what he really did on the cross, and this almost sounds almost too trite, but don't miss it. Don't miss the profundity of this in the question I'm asking you. Because when you've been around church for a while, we think we know everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And you know who you are. Because you've been around this. I get it. But when you really, and I'm not talking about the anatomically correct breakdown of what happens in the process of crucifixion. You want to talk about that? I can talk about that. I can talk about it medically. I can talk about it any way you want to talk about it. But I'm talking at this moment about what he actually did and accomplished. When that connects with you, when that truth connects, I got, let me get this thing. I take this all over the world. It's a little difficult going through security. Give me the close up, sunshine. So here, here you got the power source. Here's the plug. Hooked up to whatever, a Texas fan. You can't see it. It's invisible. It's out there. All right. So I was raised in classic Pentecost. I only admit that when it's convenient. It was just a different time. For those of you that were there, you understand what I'm saying. So we used to have testimony services on Wednesday night. They didn't do it anymore because... Uh, there was a lot of reasons. But there was one lady, her name was Sister Shoop. She gave the same testimony every Wednesday night. Now remember, when the camp was over, where, where I went, my mother never came back. So I had nowhere to live. So the church that the man who picked me up attended, they cleaned out a maintenance closet, got a piece of foam rubber, that was my mattress, and I lived in that maintenance closet for almost three years. So like I've lived at church. I still live at the church in New York. I don't know what that says about me. I'm sure it says something. But I've lived in the church like all my life. So I'm sitting on the front row. Here it's Wednesday night. Sister Shoop, here she comes. Right on schedule. Here was her testimony. I could give her testimony better than she could give it herself. Because I lived there. I had to be in every service. And here was her testimony. I've been walking close to the Lord all my life. Now that sounded good on a Wednesday night. But in essence, what she was saying is this. Okay. So close to the, if you're this close with a plug, is anything going to happen? No. Matter of fact, let's take it one step closer. Let me put it right here. Anything going to happen? No. But. <laughs> Man, I'm going to slap somebody for this thing. 
But when this connects to the source, something happens starting here all the way down the line. The little molecules in this plug and wire do not get together and vote. What do you think, George? I don't know, Ralph. What do you think? It ain't about what George or Ralph think. Because when this connects to this, this, all by itself, forces, forces something to happen. That's what this service is about. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains us. <laughs> that word constrains in the Greek. I'm not going to throw a bunch of Greek at you. But I want you to get this one Greek word because this is the hook. It's the Greek word syneko. Constrains in the Greek is syneko. S-U-N-E-C-H-O. Interesting Greek word. It's actually the only time it's ever used in a context like this in the entire New Testament. Paul chooses to use syneko. Why? Because it was one of those few words, even in today's languages, where it had three primary definitions. What does that mean? You look a word up in any dictionary of any language. You know how it works. As a primary definition, a secondary definition, depending on the text and the context of how the word is used. Seneco was one of those words that meant three things at the same time. Very unusual. But that's why Paul uses it. The love of Christ did something. It did three things. All It does three things at the same time. The love of Christ does three things. I'm going to give you those three definitions, and then I'm going to see at the back. Number one, it's exactly what I just said. Some of you are taking notes, and it would be wise for you to do this, because you can take this sermon and preach it. I have people preach my stuff all over the world. You can throw the Greek out there. It'll make you think you got a Ph.D., be all that and a bag of chips for your buddies. Seneco. The love of Christ does three things. Definition number one. It forces motion. That's what this is. It forces something to happen. When you really understand who he is and what he did and what he did for you, when that actually connects with you, it forces that, no secret sauce. But the love of Christ forces something to happen. You don't have a choice. See, that's what Pastor Bill, you're 72 years old. When are you going to retire? <laughs> where, where do people like me go to retire? Houston? Mm. These guys would be having to raise bail money about once a month if I lived around here. Because I would be causing so much trouble, you wouldn't want me representing you. (laughs) It's the truth. It forces... When I was in that last plane crash, I said, Pastor Bill, now it's time to retire. Come on, folks. I have nothing put away for retirement. I live at the church. I, there's always little donuts laying around somewhere. I'm good. 
And some of you think, some of you think I'm kidding. Come visit me. I still drive the bus. I drive the Sunday school bus in New York to pick up the kids for Sunday school. They told me that I can't get a CDL license. You know, the bus driver's license after 75. Somebody, Pastor Bell, what are you going to do when you can't get a driver's license? I drive the bus without a license. That's pretty simple. That's not rocket science. You say, would you do that? You kind of know me a little bit now. You're kind of getting me a little bit. Of course. It's whatever it takes. I said it's whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, folks. Doesn't matter. They smuggled me out of, out of Brunei in the trunk of a car just before COVID. <laughs> you know, always get smuggled in third shift because third shift doesn't even want to be there. So third shift is useless in most things. It moves you. It pushes you. Number two, we got to hurry. Got to hurry. Number two, second definition is it keeps you away from something. Now, this is the part that threw me off. How could something move you towards something and keep you away from something at the same time? Same word, folks. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the definitions of the word. Moves you towards something, keeps you away from something. I thought, what? This doesn't make sense. And then I believe the Holy Ghost helped me. Of course. See, once you understand what Jesus did, when that connects with you, that truth will keep you away from those things that the devil keeps wanting to throw at you and your family to try to destroy you, to try to get you to quit, to try to take you out. The truth of what he did on the cross all by itself will keep you away from that foolishness. Reason why young people throw their lives in the toilet and some older people is because they really don't grasp what Jesus did for them. They say they do. They think they do. When you get it, folks, it moves you toward... It, why, why do you think our team right now is in South Sudan? We've got had an invite from the Sudanese government, from the government, to start Metro Sunday School all across the country of South Sudan. Those kind of things don't just happen, folks. I wasn't going to tell you this, but this may be a good time to do it. Uh, we're waiting on uh, the whole Middle East thing to kind of clear off with COVID because we've got an invitation. The Israeli government has asked us to come in and start Sunday school on the Gaza Strip. Nobody gets invites to the Gaza Strip. Come on, Jesus. We got it. Invite to the Gaza Strip. This is where we and, and you think I'm going to retire? Are you nuts? I'm just getting started, folks. Come on. The doors are opening in Jesus' name. It's amazing. A sovereign move of God that's opened up to us. What am I going to do? Go to Florida? Sit in my Bermuda shorts? You want to see white? That's as white as you're going to get. Sit in my Bermuda shorts. <laughs> Come on, man. You understand what I'm saying. It moves you towards something. It keeps you away from something. And last, number three, it keeps you in something. In something. Interesting word, this word, suneco. 
That's why Paul used it. Because when you get it, when you get it, when it connects. Come on, Jesus. Not just when something you read, heard, show up on Sunday morning, think you've done everybody a favor. We ain't done nobody no favor. Come on. When you get this, folks, it presses you. It pushes you out of the seat, into the street. It's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. Come ride my bus with me. Hang out with me. We're doing a Nehemiah boot camp, end of August. I got people coming from all over the world, spending a couple of months with us in Brooklyn to be trained to do something that they never thought they could do. Because you know what? I won't go say this. What? I'm supposed to be done already. I'm never done on time. So it don't matter. <laughs> you know, there are people sitting in this room, and I know there is, in a group this size, that when you were younger, God dropped something in your heart. God dropped missions in some of your hearts. But life happened. Because you know life happens. And it got stupid and it got crazy. And you went off and did. But now some of you are just old enough where the craziness is gone. You're a little looser. You, you, got, you got a little bit of time. Crazy people are gone. Crazy things are gone. Crazy stuff isn't as crazy as it was. And the Holy Ghost is saying, hey, 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 hey. That dream, that vision I put in you as a young man, as a young woman, it has not died. It's just been put on hold. It's time for you in your latter years to rise up and do something you could have done before. Now you are able to do it because you've got wisdom. I love the young people, but I need some older people with some wisdom. Older folks that have got some this. Not the push my buttons on my screen. I'll take your stinking phone and throw it in the street. And it won't even be in Jesus' name. Get off your stinking screen. Get with some of these older folks. If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to change rooms. Mm-hmm. That's why I need some older folks running with me at this time in my life. Because we know where we're going. We know how to get there. That's why we're doing the boot camp. Come on, Jesus. You know what I'm saying. It moves you towards something. It keeps you away from something. It keeps you in something. In what? His love will keep you in his love. His love will keep you in his grace. Oh, by the way, his love will keep you in church. (laughs) I just, I don't think, because now everybody likes to sit at home watching church in their underwear. Now, if you got to go to church in your underwear, it's better you stay home. Because we don't need all that. Mm -hmm. But let me just say, there is no substitute for being in the house of God on Sunday morning with God's people. There is no substitute. There is no substitute. If you can't be here, that's fine. But if you can, put some pants on and next Sunday, get yourself in here. In Jesus' name. Do not forget the pants. Please. We can't. We have enough of that going on. Moves you towards something. Keeps you away from something. Keeps you in something. Keeps me in the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. You want to 
Because, see, today everybody's a victim. I'm a victim. Really? You want to trade stories? Meet me at the back table. I said that in Germany. And some sucker took me up on it. He didn't know me. He said, I've got 100 euros. I'll bet I've had a harder life than you. I said, I got $100. He said, you want to bet? I said, yeah, put your money down. I said, you want to go first? You want me to go first? He said, you go. I started right from the beginning. I don't have time now to do it. But I went right from the beginning. You all know me a little bit now. Walked right through. I got to the end. I said, you're up, pal. He just gave me the 100 euros. And you know I took it. I took it from that sucker. I gave it to the ministry, but I, I ain't letting him off that easy. I'm going to take your money. Mm-hmm. Don't come at me. Because I'm not a victim. I said I'm not a victim. And neither are you. I know who I have believed. And I'm still persuaded that he is still able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Ain't no victims here. No victims here. Just overcomers. And more than overcomers. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So quit your complaining. It's time. It's time. To rise up from the youngest to the oldest. I got to tell you this, and then we got to go. Um, we're, I was in uh, Kenya, and we, we, I'm in this village. And uh, Ashley, it's Ashley, right? Ashley, give me another picture. That we're, there it is. So I see it's this little village. We're about three hours north of Nairobi. And so I see these couple of guys. Uh, fighting age guys, probably 20s, 30s, and I see them putting kids in circles, and they've got these big hypodermic needles, like this kid's chewing on. So these older guys are, are telling the kids, if you want Coca-Cola, open open your mouth. And I see them squirting the stuff in the kids' mouths. So I'm just watching this. I'm going, okay, this ain't right. Something ain't right. So I talked to one of the staff. I said, who are these guys? I said, Pastor Bill, we got to be careful. Drug dealers run this village. So what the dealers do, they take a cocaine and a meth mix. They put it in these needles, and they squirt it in the mouths of these little kids, telling them it's Coca-Cola. Now, if you know anything about drugs, you can see it's already affecting this kid. You can see it in his eyes. So now I'm standing here looking at this. I'm thinking, okay, unbelievable. And then one of the dealers comes up to me. He goes, oh, you're the preacher. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, let me tell you something, preacher. Jesus is never going to be in this village. Drugs is the God of this village. I said, really? He said, yeah, that's right. I said, and you know, sometimes I can really be, I can be one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. And then other days, not so much. Just depends on the day you catch me. Well, this was one of those days. So I kind of pulled a Brooklyn on him. You know, some of you will know that. I just took a step forward. You say, what's up? Uh-huh. I said, let me tell you something, pal. See, because he didn't know. But we were starting Metro Sunday School in this village in two weeks. And he didn't know that. But I knew that. That's why we were there. I said, you better enjoy your run, Bubba. I said, because in two weeks, you ain't even going to be around no more. He goes, what you mean? I said, you find out. He goes, no, what do you mean? And have you ever been so mad? You just, see, because if you don't get mad, you're not going to change anything. 
I'm going to let that one kind of waft for all you Christians that didn't quite get that one. Yeah. Somebody has to get angry enough and sin not and decide to take the love of Christ and do something with it and not just talk about it. We don't need an explanation of Jesus. We need a demonstration of Jesus. Live and on time. Live and in your face. Mm-hmm. I said, you can be here. So here we go. And I just backed off two weeks later. We started Metro Sunday School. And Ashley, you got one, one, one last picture? There. That was day one of Sunday School. And that's just the boys. We separate the boys from the girls. That's, that's just the boys. That was the first day. We had a little over 10,000 in Sunday School on the very first day we started Sunday School in that village. You better give God a praise for what God is doing through Metro and through churches just like this. What does all this mean? It's very simple, folks. Willem said it was a reflex. You have to think about it. So what about you? What about you? When you understand, my friends, close enough, it ain't never been good enough, has it? Wasn't then, it's not now. Well, when that happens, when you connect with him, everything changes. So Father, we're grateful. We're grateful. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how you could love us, sinners, condemned, unclean. How marvelous. How wonderful. See, that's all song. I like the old songs. They weren't written by people trying to get a record contract in Nashville. They went to hell and back and they wrote a song explained what Jesus did for them. So, Father, I thank you today. I thank you for the fathers here. I thank you for the fatherhood that you've shed abroad in our hearts. I thank you for the man who picked me up. He wasn't my dad. I didn't know who my dad was. But I guess he was my dad that day. That day. And I thank you. I thank you. We have a chance to make a difference. I thank you for your blood. Speak to us today on this Father's Day. Because there's a little boy that doesn't have a dad either. And I know how that feels. Let us be that person that we need to be the reflex to make a difference. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me oh the blood of Jesus shed for me and what a sacrifice that saved my life yes the blood it is my victory thank you God bless you